0: Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. Thank you, Mike. Okay, Uh, so good morning, church. Uh, Again, my name is Herrick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. And you might be wondering, where is Tom, the other pastor? He's in New York with his wife, Ebony, and Kevin and Lisa and Heidi and Scott Deal. They're all, they, who are, they oversee our prayer team. And Tom and, and those two couples went to a conference in New York City called Altars to learn more about prayer and what it looks like to cultivate a community of prayer, a community of dependence on the spirit of Jesus. And so that's where they are. They send love. Thank you, Mike. They send their love, and uh, they should be back for next Sunday. So this week, I will be preaching. Yay. Yay. Fan. Twins fan? No, I'm your biggest fan. Oh, biggest fan. I think I looked at Eric and got confused. There's a one Twins fan in that well former whatever. So, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here of Temecula, and we are in a series called The King and His Kingdom. We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew and we are actually in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically the most you could debate I guess there's always a debate about these things. Some people say it's John 17, a few chapters within the kind of like towards the back half of John where Jesus is sharing his heart for his disciples. Sometimes that's considered the greatest teaching of all time. I tend to think it's this, but I don't know why I want to pit Jesus against Jesus. So, whatever. This is a great teaching and it will benefit your life and mine as we give ourselves over to it. So, this is the Sermon on the Mount and we've been in this for several weeks. And today we're going we're gonna to continue. If you were here last week, uh, you were here when we talked about greed, everybody's favorite topic, uh, greed. Still, to this day in pastoral ministry, however many years I've been in it, I've never had somebody say I'm really struggling with greed. It's just a thing that has this blinding effect that we don't know about. Like We don't know when we're struggling with greed. It has a tendency to blind us. And where we live, I can't get into it. That was last week's message. We just live in a very wealthy place is all I'm saying. Uh, as someone who didn't grow up here, this is, there's a lot of Everything is nice. And so we, there's this tendency in the life of a disciple to look to and put our trust in faith and hope and money rather than in God. And so we talked about that last week. Uh, this week, Jesus is continuing in a sense. It's, there's a part of, of the, the text today that we're going to see where it says, therefore. So this is very much connected to what we talked about last week. If you haven't got a chance to check out last week's message, I want to invite you to do that. Obviously, you can't do that now before this message. Go back retroactively and listen to it. It was really good. I think there's a lot of hope for us who struggle with greed, which is probably all of us, to one degree or another, to find healing in Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to continue this teaching today, and the big thing I want to focus you in on as we get started is the word, therefore. I've heard it said before that when you see the word, therefore, the question we should ask is, what is it, therefore, which is cheesy? But it's helpful. Therefore, why does Jesus start this passage with therefore? It's because it's connected to last week's message. It's connected to last week's topic, which was greed and generosity. So before we dive into the message today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24, sorry, 25 to 34. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over there. We'll have the slides up on the screen if you don't. But before we do that, I'm going to pray and ask for Jesus's help uh, this morning. Uh, Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that your word is, it, it opens up a whole new way of seeing our lives, of seeing our world, of seeing reality. I thank you that everything makes sense when we see you at the center. And nothing does, ultimately, without you at the center. And I thank you that today this message is really an invitation to recenter on you. It's an invitation to recenter on who you are, whose we are, and, and the life that we can have with you as dad. And I pray that today you would speak to each of us individually, and that you would speak to us corporately as a church, and that you would lead us into a response of praise, of praise and prayer as a community. God, we love you, we're grateful to you, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to get going here. Therefore, Jesus is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Takes care of them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Another wild thought. Worrying doesn't actually accomplish anything. Uh, some people have translated to this can anybody add a cubit of height? Like, can you add a foot to your height by worrying? The answer should be a resounding no. Otherwise, I'd be 6'7 and playing in the MLB. About to retire, probably, at my age, <clears throat> with my back. Verse 28, the point is, worrying is worthless when it comes to actually adding value to our lives. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these wildflowers, flowers of the field. It's profound. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? And what he's referring to there is like the, in the ancient uh, kind of oven, you would, throw, you would throw grass into the to fuel, the fire. So this beautiful flower that was arrayed more spectacular than Solomon, which is going to be thrown into a fire, that's how God takes care of the flowers and dresses them, How much more will he he dress you and cover you? So we'll finish up here. Verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This concludes chapter 6 of Matthew. Okay. A lot going on here. And I've had all week to think about it. So, uh, I've arranged this message around answering a few questions. I'm a big FAQ guy, frequently asked questions. I love going on websites and just reading the questions that they're anticipating that I'm gonna have. And so, again, I'm working on this self-focus, but actually this is a service to you because I'm anticipating the questions that I think you might have, which probably sound a lot like the questions I have. In any case, we're gonna start with question number one, which is a good question to ask anytime you're in, in the Gospels which is this. What is Jesus talking about? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? Verse 25. If we can put that one back up there. Verse 25 tells us. He says, I, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, or, what your, or your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is talking about food and clothes. You like practical teaching? Here it is talking about food and clothes. He's talking about securing life's essentials. And I don't know about you, but I feel more keenly aware about this question of how will we secure life's essentials now than I ever did before, just because of the last three years, roughly. In the last three years, I have found myself at Walmart in a, I don't know, hours, hours long line, fighting for like four rolls of toilet paper. This was March 2020. Was anybody else there? Maybe you were there with me, Tracy was there. Couldn't tell because we were all, you know, it was like, who, is this? who are these people? Don't care, it actually makes me feel not as bad about being in this competition for toilet paper with them because I can't see their faces. Toilet paper, paper towels uh, were another big thing. Uh, more recently, there's been issues if you have young children with formula, right? It's been hard to actually get formula. Uh, I think the new thing is eggs. Eggs are the new hotness, apparently. Just can't find them, very hard to get. Uh, for a while during the early parts of the pandemic for the frontline workers, there were issues getting a, you know, PPE, masks and different sorts of protection for them. Uh, what else, is there anything else I'm missing? Anything else you guys would contribute? Rubber duckies? <laughs> Gabe? Semiconductor, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. He works for Sony. You guys are gonna have to talk loudly. Semiconductors chips. <laughs> Terrific. I know what happened. I've been looking at my daughter who's in the front wearing this little yellow. I'm just thinking of her. <clears throat> Great. So semiconductors, anything else that, it, that you guys want to add or do we cover it? Okay, pretty good. So my point is securing life's essentials or technological essentials, which are becoming more and more essential, it seems like, I've been very, it's been very difficult over the last several years. And when there is insecurity about securing life's essentials, what do we tend to do? We worry. Thank you. We worry. And that's what Jesus is addressing in this passage. So it's very relevant, very practical. As I was thinking about this, here's some of the questions that you probably, just like I do, deal with without necessarily knowing that we're dealing with them. Questions such as, am I going to be okay? Big question. Questions like, will we be okay? Potentially thinking about your households or spheres, people that you care about. Are we going to be okay? Uh, Are we going to have what we need? And then now because of issues with shipping and whatever, shipping containers sitting off the coast, when we need it. Right? Are we going to have what we need when we need it? These are questions that are happening here at a heart level all the time. All the time. And so anxiously securing life's essentials is what he's talking about. Going back to last week, remember how I mentioned that, that Jesus starts this passage specifically with the word therefore? It connects back to what we talked about. We talked about greed and the, the cure for greed being generosity. Greed could actually be a strategy to cope with worry. The worry of not having enough in this life. Worry might actually be a sign that our trust is in wealth. Potentially. Which I was thinking about it. If, you, if you've looked at a, a U.S. currency recently, what does it say? In what we trust. In God we trust, right? And I had this thought that like Jesus could look at it and he might say, actually it should say in wealth we trust. Because our worry <laughs> reveals that. So it's kind of paying lip service. Which, if we're honest, this is the danger of us as human beings. Called, if you're here, you're hearing about Jesus. So whether you're a follower of His or not, you're getting the call now to follow Him. Welcome. Did you know that was going to happen today? It just happened. You're called to follow Him. He's the Lord who's come back to re- redeem and restore His creation. But the part that we don't like is that what's gone broken starts here. It's in inside, and it works its way out. So he's here for your heart. He's after your worry. So how do we know? If our, if our trust might be in wealth, we worry a lot. In possessions, in stuff. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the anxiety of securing life's essentials. That's what he's talking about. So I just want to ask a question, like, are you worried today? You take stock of your body. Usually worry like we feel it. We feel that worry. In fact, when I started talking about worry, you probably, your are oh, that's louder than I thought it would be. Okay, if I ever need to wake you up, now I know, give that a little tap. Uh, your jaws might clench up, you might be biting your nails, there's, there's physiological outworkings of worry that are there. Are you worried in, about securing life's essentials? Or what might be even, even more of a thing here is like preserving preserving what you already have, making sure that it gets to the next generation of people that you care about? Are you worried? I got good news for you. Jesus is speaking to you today. And worry is a real part of life. Second question, like I said, I'm going to do this FAQ style. What is Jesus not talking about? What is Jesus not talking about? Okay, so I got a quote from R.T. France. Quote number one. I'm getting a thumbs up. Yeah, we might actually have it on the screen. Yes! Yes! Fantastic. Everett, well done. I got these guys these quotes like six seconds ago, so you guys are incredible. Okay, so here's a quote. What is Jesus, again, I'm answering the question, what is he not talking about? What is he not saying? That's also a good question when you're reading the Bible. What is Jesus talking about? What is he not talking about? That'll help us from going into all sorts of rabbit trails that he never expected us to go down with his words. So what is he not talking about? Thankfully, there's some really smart people who have thought about this for a long time. R.T. France is one of them. He wrote one of the uh, most popular Matthew commentaries. He said, what is forbidden here is worry, not responsible provision for one's own and one's family's needs. God provides food for the birds, but they still have to search for it. So birds still have to go out looking, but God provides what they need. The basis of the disciples' confidence in contrast with the anxiety of the pagans, lies in recognizing God as your heavenly father. The proper attitude then is to put God first and trust him for our practical needs. So there's an anxiety that's connected to pagans in this passage. And here Jesus isn't like some, you know, mean fundamentalist who just likes calling people pagans. He's making a distinction. There's the people of God who belong to the, to the covenant community, the people that were called to be part of his, the work of God in this world, to be a light to the nations. He's making a distinction between light and darkness. He's not being mean. He's just exploring reality. The pagans who are in darkness worry about these things. And the people and the children of the light are called not to worry about these things because they have a new father. So what is Jesus not talking about? Jesus is not an advocate for neglect. He is not an advocate for neglect. Jesus is against worry, not working. Jesus is against worry, not working. Why? I want to propose something to you. If you're a note taker, I want to invite you to take a note here. Our worry reveals our worth. We just don't think we're worth much. Our worry reveals our worth. We just don't think we're worth much. Uh, If my children were to hide snacks in their shoes and under pillows out of fear of not having enough in my household, I would say, oh no, I'm raising orphans. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They're orphans in my own household and that would hurt. Exceedingly. Very much. Greatly. Okay? That's why they're worried. That's why they're putting Twinkies or whatever. My kids never eat Twinkies. That's the thing that I came up with. Cheddar Rockets, which I hate with a fiery passion. They're putting Cheddar Rockets in their Nikes. The fact that they have Nikes should be a sign to them that you're not only taken care of, you're well taken care of. But still, they're putting their Cheddar Rockets in their Nikes because they're orphans at a heart level. Jesus is not against working, but worry because it reveals our worth. And if we're honest, if we pause and self-reflect, we just don't think we're worth much to the Father. What is Jesus saying? We're going to keep asking questions and answering them. What is Jesus saying? Okay, I got another quote. Quote number two. I just got a no. I just got a yes. Thank you. You guys are doing great back there. Mark, you're confusing me with your nods. Contrary to human stereotypes. So what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? That's what we're going to answer. We're going to let a smarter guy do this than, than me. Contrary to human stereotypes, wealthy people are not necessarily materialistic. So we, have, we shouldn't make that mistake. And on the flip side, we shouldn't make the mistake that poor people are somehow more righteous. We shouldn't make that mistake either. Contrary to human stereotypes, wealthy people are not necessarily materialistic, and poor people are not necessarily living by kingdom priorities. Jesus had wealthy followers amongst his crew. There were wealthy women, which is just radical at that time, that helped fund Jesus' ministry. So it's not, don't think like wealthy, bad, poor, good. That's That's not what we're talking about. The issues are, have always been, continue to be, will forever be, priority. One commentary after another, they all use this word priority over and over and over to the point of like, okay, I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Otherwise, we're all crazy. The issues are one's priorities and one's stewardship. That is a good word. We are stewards. We have been entrusted with with money, with opportunities, with gifts, with, if, you're, if you're a parent, you have your children, um, if you're an employee with, a, with work, if you're a student, you have been entrusted with opportunities in your classroom with classmates to take care of, stewardship is the key. Prioritization of whatever resources you have, you use them for the glory of God. This passage does not prohibit planning and work. Some of you planners are like, Whew. right? It's not saying don't plan or work as if food and clothing will come floating down from the sky, which is clever, by the way. This is a clever commentator. Can you even think of a time when food came floating down from the sky? Yes. The answer is yes. Well, not for you necessarily. You might not. The answer is yeah. yes. Food has flown, floated down from the sky at one point. It's called manna from heaven. And sometimes there were so many birds that they could just grab them like this. However, that's not the normal state of affairs. That was a miraculous sign or wonder provision at that time. What this passage prohibits is making, and this is really key, the passage prohibits making one's plans and work the center of one's life and living as if God and his kingdom did not exist. We'll read it again. The passage prohibits making one's plans and work the center of one's life and living as if God and his kingdom did not exist. Smart guys. Thank you, David Turner and Daryl Bach. Functional atheism, if you will. Uh, th- sometimes, like, as Christians, Christians get really worked up about atheists and what they believe or don't believe and the kind of scatter, you know, the arguments that they make. But I, th- I think it might be better just to be like, uh, I'm kind of an atheist sometimes. I don't actually believe that God's going to take care of me and how do I know? Because I worry. Because I worry. And here's the, here's the reality of the situation. If me and what I'm doing, my plans and my work, are the center of my life, rather than God and what he's doing and his work, I've lost it. I've gone astray. I've lost my way. I have functioned as an orphan, and now I am finding my own way through life. In other words, anxiously, anxiously securing, securing life's essentials is a symptom that I, am a, that I am the center of my life and not God. That's a deeper problem now, isn't it? That's a much deeper problem. It's that idea of like, I need to look out for me. But here's the question I had this week as I was thinking about it. If my plans and work fall apart, would I fall apart if this is what the center of my life is? I think the answer is yes. And so sometimes... Things like 2020 happen, mass layoffs, uh, all kinds of stuff can take place. Businesses close, inflation goes bonkers, all this stuff. And what it's doing is it's testing us. It's a test. And the test reveals the truth about your trust. The test reveals the truth about your trust. And what Jesus is saying is, if, if, if what you find is worry, you probably don't think you're worth much. And you will eventually lose your way, because you don't know the most important part, which I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, My story, uh, when I was 22, 23 years old, uh, I finished up with college. I was living in San Diego. And then I went and got a job. I went to college for four years at the University of San Diego. It's a great school down in San Diego, a little Catholic school up on the hill. It's like a castle. It's amazing. I went there. I started working and pretty soon thereafter, I fell into like, what I'm realizing now is like a deep depression. I had a job, I started my career, I had a degree, Um, I was seeing someone that I thought had potential to become like a long-term thing. I had like a plan for family and marriage and work. And I realized like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I remember sitting on the trolley, if you've ever been to San Diego, they have a trolley system. Fascinating things happen on those trolleys. Can't get into it all right now, but I took them for a few years. If you ask me later, if you want to know, (laughs) whatever. I was on a trolley, and I remember just sitting there thinking, I am empty inside. I am a totally empty human being. And what I realize now is that my plans and my work were just failing to deliver what I had hoped that they would. The girl I was with was not really sure if she wanted to be with me. And I had invested a lot of energy and effort into that relationship, hoping that it would secure me a family and children and a stable family life. And all of a sudden, that's being shaken. Uh, my work was brutal. I didn't like it. I didn't like the culture. I felt, I felt like a fake in there. I was working at a law firm with a bunch of people that had incredible degrees, and they were really smart. And, all of, and I'm like in the little research department, struggling to do my daily job. To the point of like, I I don't know how much longer I can do this, this is back in 2007. My plans and my work were falling apart, but I discovered something in the midst of that that really changed my life, which was this, that that building my life around securing all of the essentials that I think I need through my work was actually a dead end. I thought my biggest concern was a dead end job. The biggest concern was actually the, the way that I was heading down was a dead end. I was in the dark. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there today. It's possible. Here's what I learned. Making new plans, all right, I'm going to get serious now. And doubling down on execution still leaves me at the center of my life. And that's what Jesus is addressing today. When I'm at the center of my life, no matter how good or how rough your life is, no matter how privileged or impoverished you are, when you're at the center, when I'm at the center, it will leave you empty and worried. Before I know it, I look back on my life and I realized, now, looking back on it, I am an orphan in my father's house. I was an orphan in my own father's house. It's not like I hadn't heard about God the Father or Jesus. I had. It just hadn't actually integrated into how I lived my life. It didn't actually become a part of my person I had not received an identity that led to a new status and a new family. I was an orphan in my father's house. And that is a tragedy, if you ask me. So what is Jesus saying? I think worry reveals that we are wondering. We are wondering who's going to take care of me. How am I going to find my way? Jesus in this passage gives us the answer, your father, your father. Jesus is inviting you and me through this text to experience the wonder of being not orphans, but sons and daughters in the household of God. What is Jesus saying? My work and my plans may fail, and in fact, they often will, but my father will not fail. He won't. And your father won't fail. If you put your faith in Jesus, God becomes your father. That makes us siblings, which has its own ups and downs and perks and, you know, responsibilities, right? Because we're kind of messy. But ultimately, if God is our father, we are part of a new household. And I'm telling you that it is possible, because I have lived this, to be an orphan in your father's house. And I have a feeling there's some orphans in this room today. And worry is the key indicator. What is Jesus saying? You just got to get to know him. Vinny, what's the word? Yedea. Yedea, my Hebrew scholar, who I consult with. Yedea, what does that mean, Vinny? Yedea is the Hebrew word to know him, but not contextually. Yeah. We need to get you a mic. Sorry, I'll repeat what you're saying. It's, It's to know him. It's to know him. At the heart. Yes. not just to know about him, it's to know him personally. Perfect. To know him personally at a friend level. So, it's, he's talking about not an abstract concept of God, but an actual connection to him. Not an abstract concept, but an actual connection to God. How do I know that? What does Jesus say in the passage? How does he prove his point? Does he dive into the Old Testament and start telling you a bunch of stories about Israel? There's a time and a place for that. And he does that kind of thing. What are the two things that he talks about? What does he give us in this passage to consider? Consider the? Birds. And consider the? Flowers. Amazing. Do you know what this means? It means that Jesus can go outside, when he was when he was on this earth, and in 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 his humanity, he's God, but he walked around here. And he was he's human. He's fully God and fully human. And in, his, in his humanity, he could go outside, open his eyes, look up at the trees, and connect with God. Or he could look down while he's walking around, and look at a flower, and be and and all of a sudden. He's he's so connected to God that his imagination is full. It's full. See, Jesus doesn't just doesn't he doesn't just see birds. He sees the divine. What's the name of someone who deals with birds? Off Op- Think that's an eye doctor? I really need some help here. Ornithologist. Jesus doesn't just see a bird, he sees the divine ornithologist working. What's the name of a person who's at the park feeding birds? Like a little old man or lady? He sees that. Bird feeder. He sees a divine bird feeder. What's the name of a person who works with flowers? Horticulturalist? That doesn't sound right, is that right? Horticulturalist, right. What are they, green thumbs, right? A botanist, okay. So he sees the divine green thumb, botanist, horticulturalist at work. You guys see what I'm saying? He's so connected. It's not an abstract concept. Can I just be real? I related and still can relate to God as an abstract concept rather than having an actual connection with him. And here's what happened to me. I was, after I became a Christian, I started going to this church. I met Heather. We started dating. Heather's my wife, who's back there with my daughter. Um, we started dating. And as, as can happen, if, you're, if you've ever dated in the church, especially if you date someone who's not part of your church, there's always that question of like, what church do we go to or what church do we be- belong to, become a part of? Do I go to his church? Do I go to her church? So what we did is we just kind of started uh, to check out each other's churches, Heather went to the church that I was a part of at the time, one time, and she was like, nope, nope. And it was a church, and to be fair, I was, just, I was just there, like, taking classes and learning. I wasn't a member at that church. I was literally just checking it out. And one of the things that got, whatever, we don't get into it. It wasn't for her. It doesn't matter. Uh, and then I went to her church, and I was like, nope, ain't happening. So we were stuck there was a clash. This is called conflict. When I want something different than what you want, you get conflict. conflict. That's out of James. It's biblical. And so what ended up happening to us is that I went through a season where I, I felt like, okay, I think the right move especially in light of all that she had been through. And she had been through a lot. She was a part of that church for eight years. I'd only been part of my, the church that I was checking out for like eight weeks. So I was like, all right, I probably should go with her to her church and, and I'll, figure, I'll figure it out. But eventually I was so worked up about the differences that I had with the church and with the pastors that I just went and talked to the pastors about how I felt. Which now, as was a pastor, I'm like, oh, oh joy. <laughs> I was that guy. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying this like if you have differences, I want to hear about them and we can talk about them. I'm just telling you that the way that I handled it was pretty arrogantly. And, I, and here's, what the, here's what the pastor told me. Wonderful man. He ended up marrying Heather and I. Pretty cool story of redemption. Well, after I walked him through the laundry list of complaints that I had about the church, he turns to me and he says, you know, your knowledge exceeds your obedience. And I was like, You know, like, i kill you. It's like, how do you like that? You know, love your neighbor, <laughs> hate your enemy. Just kidding. Um, but he told me like, your knowledge exceeds your obedience. That's true to some degree for all of us. But for me, the gap was huge. It was ugly. And I didn't even see it. It's kind of like greed. You just don't know it. But it's there. Pride actually, just in general, just has a blinding effect if you don't know this. Pride blinds us from what's true, and uh, sometimes it's really painful when somebody helps you to see the truth. It's kind of like seeing a part, you know, it's kind of like catching yourself in the mirror, like, oh, <laughs> nope. You know, like, it's kind of like that. Have you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. But my point is, you got to get to know him is not, it, well, you got to get to know him is Yidea, but it's not an abstract concept. It's not an abstract God that we're trying to get. You want to... Yeah, you want to Yedea him. You actually want to get to know him and connect with him. And I'm really happy to say that for me personally, that was one of the most important conversations of my entire life. It sent me down a new trajectory where I realized, oh, I, I might actually be sliding away from connecting with God and just trying to accumulate as much conceptual knowledge of him as possible. And the end result is there's this gap And what fills the gap between actual connection and abstract concept is being a jerk. I don't know if you know that. And that was me. I'm not talking about anybody in this room. I'm talking about me. So I'm not talking here about bypassing the mind. You can't really do that if you take Jesus' word seriously. I'm not talking about, like, mushy... You know, I'm talking about like he looked at trees and he was like, he, could, he did the logical work to say, he looked at birds and, and look, did the logical work. I know my father and I know that these birds, apart from his care, would not get what they need, but they do. What he's calling us to is to engage in a deeper way. What he's calling us to is to see in delight in the fingerprints of your your father everywhere you find them. And his fingerprints are everywhere. Everywhere. He's calling you to a sanctified, a holy imagination. And what you will find and what I will find is that our hearts will be less full of worry and more full of wonder. Do you hear the wonder in Jesus' words? My father cares for the birds. Look at, these flowers are more beautiful than anything Solomon ever wore. Jesus is in awe. He's in awe. Childlike, even, if you like. You must become like children to receive the kingdom, right? This is a a call to become a child, which is really hard for all of us. And if you're a young person, you kind of have a leg up on us. You're less set in your ways. And I just want to tip my cap to you. This is called a Newsy, I think. It was popular back in the 40s and 50s. I want to tip my cap to you. And just let you know, like, we need to become more like you. Children. Full of wonder. My son, Josh, uh, my, mom, my mom and dad are here for six months. live in Puerto Rico. My dad just got hired. He's, li- he's working in San Clemente for six months. It's amazing uh, that we, we, I haven't lived in the same area geographically with, with my parents for a decade. So they're here, which is just wonderful. And my mom, being a doting grandma, wants to just buy them everything. So we're kind of like, okay, they don't need this, you know, like all that stuff. Um, but you wanted to get him a book, And he loves, he's just fascinated with the world. And he's eight. And so the question became, do we get him a book about reptiles? Do we get him a book about dinosaurs? Or do we get him a book about rocks? Rocks, rocks. (laughs) And it was a real question. And he said, no, I want the rock book. Why? There's this childlike wonder at this, the beautiful diversity of rocks. We got to become like children. We got to become like children. Uh, I had a chance to to do some of this work myself this week, because I've had lots of time, like I was saying, to think about this passage. And so what I started doing is I actually started thinking about my dad, my earthly father, who's now here. And I started. I wanted to apply this just as a case study for you guys of what this looks like in my life, starting with my dad, and then I did this also with God the Father. So I started thinking about my dad. My dad is like every father in the world, imperfect, flawed. But I started picking up, some, picking up on some things. When I moved to the U.S., from the U.S., <laughs> it was confusing with Puerto Rico... So when I moved here, uh, one of the, it was obviously hard, there's transition, it's, it's a new culture, there's culture shock. Uh, thankfully, I, I knew the language, I knew English already, but it would have been worse if I didn't know the culture. But in any case, m- my dad wanted to help us acclimate and feel at home and adjusted. So one of the first things we did back in 1993, September, I think, 93, we moved here, was my dad took me to a baseball game. If you don't know this, I'm a baseball guy. I really enjoy it. And that comes from my dad, actually. And that came from his dad, so it's just been passed down in my family. And so what he did was he took my brother, my twin brother, Lewis and I, some of you don't know this, I have a twin. He's fraternal, so he doesn't look like me. Not much, somewhat, He'll probably look related. But he took my twin brother and I to go see Nolan Ryan pitch his last game in, in Southern California. If you don't know who Nolan Ryan is, Google him later. They say that he threw 108 miles an hour, which if you don't know, nobody does that, not anymore at least. So he was one of the greatest pitchers of all time. My dad braved the Southern California traffic, which if you you move from Puerto Rico to here, this is is an ocean. That's a pond, this is an ocean. He braved all that. There were 64,000 people there, if you can imagine how far away we had to park. Uh, eventually, on the way out of the stadium, we got lost. Somebody picked us up and drove us to our car. I think it was an angel, personally, like a literal angel. We were so lost. But he took us, he took us to Nolan Ryan's last game. And, and if you don't know, he was an angel before, so it was like this big celebration of Nolan Ryan. And that's when I got like officially, I'm all in on baseball. That Christmas, my dad found, and this is before Amazon and eBay, he found a Nolan Ryan autograph ball and gave it to us. And so those are really expensive, hard to find, and they're easier to find now because you have the internet, but this was pre-internet. There was a time before the internet. And it was just so thoughtful. When I thought about it, it was like, he wants me to acclimate, he wants me to feel comfortable here, he wants me to have something I can get excited about. And he not only took me there, but he gave me this little reminder, which I still have, this Nolan Ryan autograph. Uh, He... Once I started following baseball, my favorite player became Tim Salmon. He got me his autograph too. Again, hard to find and really expensive. Back in that time, it was sacrificial and it was customized for me. His love and care. Uh, he later on in life he went to a prayer breakfast with me so I could meet Tim Salmon. Uh, which that was that's not his vibe necessarily, like going to a prayer breakfasts. Uh, but he took me, like he went with me just so we could take a picture of the three of us together. He sent me to USD, which is a really expensive school. School is, I think, the cost of school, from what I understand, has exploded. But I think it's already exploded many times, because at the time it was exploding, the cost of going to a small Catholic school. But he wanted to invest in our flourishing um, as, as young people. So from small things to big things, through thick and thin, because we went through hard times financially and all that, dad took good care of me. And there's a sense of like gratitude and a sense of wonder that I have now for my dad. There's other stuff about my dad that I loved. When he would swing, he would fall over. He would swing so hard. But when he connected, I couldn't believe. I was a little kid like, I can't believe how far that... He's like Babe Ruth, right? There's this sense of wonder that we want to have towards our dad, I think. We all desire it because of our relationship with our father, his absence, maybe the wounds that we've experienced. Some of us have become cynical because we're just so hurt. But Jesus, with his father in heaven, he didn't have that cynicism. It was just wonder. Dad took good care of me. The Father takes good care of us, takes good care of you, takes good care of me. My earthly dad, I spent time just talking about him, because my earthly dad at best, at best, just points me to the greater Father I have in heaven. And his gifts, the the, the, the good things that my dad has, has given me, the, the love and the affection and the care and the customized, you know, Show signs of affection; they're just a little foretaste of the Father above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father. Okay, what does this mean for our lives? What does this mean for our lives? We can trust our Father. We can. In fact, we must. In fact, we must. We've got another quote. I believe this would be quote number three. One, two, three. I think that I think goes into it. We can trust our Father, in fact, we must. The Father expects His children to put Him first, but He delights to meet their needs. Disciples must not permit their needs to dominate their prayers, their thoughts, and their activities. That is immaturity. That might sound harsh, so I want to recognize that, but track with me. That is immaturity. If I'm at the center, that's immaturity. However, disciples must not think that God doesn't care about their needs. That is unbelief. You see the two ditches? Immaturity on the one side, it's all about me. Or on the other side, he doesn't care. Those are two ditches that we have to avoid. Unbelief and immaturity. Disciples must prioritize, how do we do that? How do we cut through that? What's the the third way through this? Disciples must prioritize their allegiance to God, his rule, and his righteous standards. That's the priority of a disciple. When the Father's plans and work are at the center of our lives, He takes care of our plans and work. When God's plans are at the center of our lives, He takes care of our work. This week, uh, a very small thing, but I don't, I'm starting to, to, again, if I see His fingerprints everywhere, I'm, I'm less inclined to dismiss things as coincidence. But you might do that, and that's fine. I'm not going to fault you for this if you blame this as a coincidence. Or say this as a coincidence. This week, uh, as I was prepping for this message, I felt this urgent need to pray. And that should be obvious. Yes, pastor, pray. Good for you. Let me get back up. I felt like an urgent need to pray. Not just like a normal one, but an urgent one. There was a problem. I was hungry. I was. I was really hungry. Like that, it's growling, and I'm like, uh-uh, hangar is around the corner, Lord. I'm getting there. And I felt like, and this doesn't happen all the time, but I just kind of felt like he gently said, if you don't eat, this isn't going to work. <laughs> Maybe that was just my voice. If you want to credit that to me, you can. But I, but I felt like I need to eat. I really do. And so, long story short, I went through my whole list of reasons why I'm not going to go out to eat. Inflation's really high. I'm trying to save money. I've been, you know, bringing food to the office. I just forgot today. And, but I just felt like this nudge, like, "Hey, do you believe this passage about food?" And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then I just had this thought, Rubio's. And so I checked my Rubio's app. I had a free meal waiting for me. So I just went to Rubio's, ate, and then I prayed. I prayed in a way that I think I wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't Mm eaten and so but but here's the thing I was just pressing into what he wanted and he took care of the details that's a small example that's pretty easy to dismiss like hey dude you really need to check your rubios app anymore they're super generous they give stuff all the time maybe I don't know that's not usually how businesses work but whatever then I started thinking more about my life I started thinking about this community I moved here with my wife and my three children actually two children now we got three That happened here in Temecula. Um, I moved here because we sensed God saying, this season in Uptown, which is one of the Restored Family Churches that we were with for six years, this season is coming to a close and a new season is beginning for you. And it's in Temecula. And that was scary for us. We had six years worth of relationships in Uptown of, of deep connection to a community. We had, we were, just, I'm talking like we were just getting by, week to paycheck to paycheck, kind of uh, up in uptown. How on earth are we going to move here? It's like San Diego is more expensive, but you got a lot more square feet to cover here. And there's a lot. When you move, there's a lot of added expenses and all this other stuff. So we made a decision as a family that on paper, this might, we don't see how this is going to work on paper, but we really do believe that the Lord is calling us to take this step as a family. So we did. And then the most amazing thing started to happen. Uh, one of the questions that we had was, where are we gonna get a car from? We have one car, which works in Uptown, by the way, because I could walk everywhere or just take an Uber or Lyft or whatever. We don't have another car. And I'm not kidding, Andy Rogers, who's the pastor of Uptown, drives up in, his, in this white Subaru and gives me the keys. He's like, here's your car, which is something that somebody had done for him years before when he stepped into leading uptown. And then in hindsight, it's like, oh, he's like the divine car salesman, redeeming that term. He didn't charge me. He just, he's that generous. He's a dealership owner. How about that? He's like the divine de- dealership owner. We had, uh, I know you guys may have heard Tom's story of moving up here. How many places did Tom go see? Was it like 20? He went to just go look at one place after another. Finding a place here was not easy, a place to rent around that time. And we didn't know, we're like, we don't have like the, on paper, we are a bottom of the barrel candidate with what I make and all this stuff. Who's gonna give me a place to rent here in Temecula? And sure enough, a place opened up and we had favor with the real estate agent and they gave it to us. Then, God provided an opportunity for me to be freed up to do this work. So God is like a divine headhunter, which is a term you might not know. A headhunter does what? He finds people. Jobs. Thank you. Doesn't mean he's whacking people. He's not in the mafia. He's a divine, I'm struggling with words. What's the name of another name for someone who finds people jobs, not headhunter? Divine recruiter. Thank you. He's a divine recruiter. He's the divine car dealership owner. He's the divine real estate agent. He's just taking care of us, is my point. And here's the beautiful thing. And as I reflect on this, what you guys need to know is this is really important. It's not about the car. It's not about the house. It's not about the job or the role. Those things are all going to, they're all here today and they'll be gone tomorrow. Nothing is permanent in that way. It's about him. It's about experiencing him as dad. When I give myself to him, he gives me all I need. What I need most is him, him to be my father. So here's, if you you like, if you take notes, or if you don't, here's the main point of what I've been saying all morning. The cure for worry is worship. The cure for worry is worship. The cure for worry is worship. In other words, like making God first in your life. Is God first in your life? If, he's, if he is, you will be filled with, wo- it means that you're probably full of wonder already in his fatherly care and provision. If you're full of, of worry, it might actually reflect on the fact that you may not be secure in his love. Are you secure in his love today? The cure for worry is worship. And a key component of worship is actually wonder. It's the stuff I was talking to you about that Jesus cultivated this wonder of God's care and provision. So I'm gonna call the band up. We're almost done here. And I just wanna briefly recognize that there are things that get in our way. There are things that get in the way. If you're here and you're kind of like, oh, I wanna know God is dad, that sounds amazing. Well, there's still things to tackle. There's things that get in the way. And a lot of it is actually distraction. A lot of it's just distraction. It's just life happening, and we experience loss, and ultimately it's a reflection of a deeper loss of connection with God that we have all experienced. If you go back to the beginning of the story in the Bible, Adam and Eve were made to know God as Father. They were to walk with Him. They were to actually do work, and they were actually to make plans to extend out this incredible reality of God being our father and our creator out into the world so the entire world could be full of this. But what happened early on, in comes the snake, in comes the tempter, out goes Adam and Eve. They got, they, they believed the lie and they were sent out. And so what's, what's important for you to know and for me to know and to remember is that we now, as we're born into this world, we are coming from a place, we're coming into this world from a place of alienation from God. Disconnection from him, whether you're a part of the church or not, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, that's the reality. That's why we worry, is because we've experienced a deep disconnection from God and an alienation from him because of the sin of our parents that has been passed down and that we repeat. The good news is, who is who's giving us these words that we read today? Who gave us the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, what did he come to do? He came to reveal God to us. He is God in the flesh. He came to reestablish that connection that we lost in the garden. He came to make us one with God again, to to be united to him. The Tim Mackey, a Bible project uh, scholar, uh, when he was talking about John the Gospel of John, and there's this wonderful exchange that Jesus talks about, which is the relationship dynamic between Jesus, God the Father, and the Spirit. There's just like this community of connected love within the Godhead. He is complete in and of himself. We aren't, though. What Jesus came to do is to bring us into the center of that. What he came to do is to bring us into this community of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you and me. And it's out of that connection that we will actually experience the power to recognize worry for what it is. You are worth much to him. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he came, he came to die. When he was on that cross, what he came to do was to bear the punishment for our sin and to remove sin from the equation so that there would be nothing that would get in the way between you and your Father. So now he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That is the invitation of Jesus for you today. So my pastoral counsel is come to Jesus today. Experience his love for you, his ability to connect you back to the love of the Father and put you back into this divine community of love where you were meant to live in the first place. I'm gonna invite you guys to stand. We're gonna go into a time of response. We're actually, we're gonna praise. I'm gonna invite you guys to pray first. If you wanna go get prayer, there's gonna be people available to pray for you. Um, But I wanna just encourage you, unless you feel like I gotta go get prayer now, I wanna invite you just to sit in this moment and just praise. You, even though we're anxious and worried a lot of the time and don't think we're worth much, Jesus thought you were worth dying for. If you need to just sit with that for a couple of minutes and not sing and just think, and see the fingerprints of God's love all over history and all over your life, do that. But if you feel ready to praise, praise him loudly. Who cares what the person next to you thinks? And if there's a blockage or a hindrance to your praise, go get prayer, go get prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness and mercy to us. Thank you that you are the father that we need and we are your children. Thank you that all of life makes sense and falls into place when we go from orphans to sons and daughters in your household. I thank you that Jesus on the cross, experienced in Himself the, the punishment and the separation, if you will, so that we could always be included back in, so that we could always be received with open arms, no matter how much we've sinned or how far away we are from Him. Your desire is to bring your kids home. And I thank you that you've brought me home. I thank you that you've brought many of us home. And I pray that if there's anybody here who has not come home, that they would today. As they would call out to you as Father and receive the embrace and the kiss of the Son. We love you, and we thank you. Should name me pray, amen. Okay, so response, praise. Prayer if you need it, if there's blockages to your praise, and then I'll be back up here with some more in a little bit. Before the gathering, we have a prayer team. The prayer team that's, that's over here available to pray Uh, typically gets together at 9 o'clock here to pray ahead of this time. So that when you walk in here, this time and space has been prayed over. And sometimes uh, the Father speaks. Uh, We we believe He still speaks today. He speaks obviously through His Word. And then sometimes He speaks to us in other ways. And so there was some stuff that came up during that prayer time that I thought was really helpful. So I'm going to call Karen up here to share something that she sensed. And then I've got one more thing that I'm going to share with you guys. As she's talking, I just want you to ask a question, God, is this for me? Are you, are, is this you speaking to me through my sister this morning, and what do you want me to do? Good morning.
1: Are we on? Yep. There we go. Good morning. Um, I normally don't do this, so bear with me. As I was driving here this morning, we live in Menifee, so it takes about 30 minutes to get here. I knew I was on prayer team, and I wanted to put my focus on Him. So as I'm driving, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and told me that I needed to put my focus on Him, not to be distracted about all the things that are around, all the things that are happening in my life personally, or in your lives personally. And I literally felt His hands, while I'm driving, on my face, turning me towards Him to put my focus on Him. Not to be distracted by the things that are around us, but to put our focus on Him. Hmm. And then during praise and worship in the first in the beginning, I felt that again, just this warmth and this drawing me to His face. He wants us. Just like He takes care of the flowers on the grass. Have you seen a flower? It goes towards the sun. It goes towards the light. That's where it receives its nourishment, its growth, and care. And that's what he wants for us.
0: We should have you do this more. If that resonates with you, please go get prayer. If there's a blockage to your praise, get prayer. I just want to say, how much more compelling is that than the worry of the world? The worry of the world is exhausting. It's 24-7 news cycle. It's arguing about this thing or that thing. Or, you know, it's just exhausting. It, it drains us. But to focus on God, then we get him and his priorities, and that everything else falls into place. You're not responsible for everything in the world, but he's given you something to do. You're his partner. He's invited you to enter into the blessing of extending his good work into the world. Worry is a block to that. So please go get prayer. For that, and then I've got one more thing. Um, Mike, who's on the prayer team, he's praying with someone right now, but he also got something. He said this morning, I had him text it to me just in case you were praying. Mike, well done. He had a picture of a storm, like wind and waves, like the story of the disciples and Jesus in the boat. How the storms keep us from seeing the Lord in his right place. If you've ever been in like a torrential downpour, I actually found myself in one in San Diego, of all places. And I was trying to drive through that. I wound up in the shoulder. I was on like in the left lane and before I knew it I had veered over into the shoulder because it was coming down so incredibly hard I couldn't see in front of me. That can happen to us when life gets really stormy and we just we lose sight of where we are. Then Mike said he it felt like there was a breaking for the storm, like a wall of ominous clouds that were going away, and the sun would shine, and it would usher in freedom and worship. I don't know that Karen mentioned the sun. Flowers face the sun. Face the sun. <laughs> S-O-N. If you can track with the analogy. If you're like his flower, turn to this, whatever. If you guys know what I'm talking about. Go get prayer. Ultimately, it's the same thing. Just go get prayer. If not, if you're like ready to praise, let him hear you like as loud as you would for your kids' football games. At least, (laughs) the Lord of the universe or a safety. Two points. I don't know anything about football. Go on, Mark. You're beautiful. That's the praise. The point is praise. That's it. You're beautiful. You are worthy and you are worthy of our worship. Thank you that we no longer have to worry in the ways that those who sit in darkness worry because they and we are called into this marvelous light where we see the fingerprints of the Father all over his beautiful creation. And our response is a praise. Thank you, Father, for that. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Just a few minutes here. Thank you, band. It was lovely. There are some orphans in the Father's household. He's coming after you. He's coming after you. Look out. There's a sense in which he summons you, and you just gotta run back to him. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, or Tim Keller calls it the prodigal God, like when the son run, runs home, it's just a warm embrace. Put the signet ring on him. He is fully restored, and we'll deal with the details later. You're home. Slot, slaughter the fattened calf. Throw a party, just so you know. That's the invitation for the orphans in God's household. On the one side, the younger brother. On the other side, the older brother, you're summoned too. (laughs) You're summoned too because you've been in the household a long time. But there's, at a heart level, you know there's disconnection. You know that you're not in that eternal dance with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know it. He's summoning you too. God's after the orphans in his household. Run to him. If you want to get prayer, I'd love to invite you to do that. Still some people that can pray for you in the back. And uh, if you've got kids in kids ministry, we just ask that you please go grab them in the next couple minutes. It's uh, 1158, so we can relieve the kids' workers by noon. And I hope you enjoy your Sunday, and remember that the invitation is for you to know him. Where's Vinny? Yedea. To know him. Not an abstract concept, but an actual connection with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Enjoy Him. Enjoy your Sunday.